0: Hello everyone, welcome to the three hundred and sixty second episode of Constructed Criticism. I am your salmon loving host, Mason, joined by
1: my tuna loving host, Abe. Abe, how you doing? That's just a hard read. <laughs> I was right. I don't think we've ever I don't even <laughs> think we've ever talked about it, but I do really like tuna.
0: Yes, I knew it. I knew you'd be a tuna guy. That's what's up. Tuna's great. I like it. Not not trying to play it down, you know? A lot of my friends love tuna.
1: That yeah, was, I like
0: this a lot. It's my, fish one of my favorite
1: foods. So oh, sushi so good. We should get some post pandemic sushi. Sounds once like once we're future. actually post pandemic. Yeah, that'd be sick. In the future
0: and some. I, I'll convince you to go to the insight in Vegas. and
1: We'll get some. <laughs> yeah, we'll get some stick. <laughs> well, Vegas we're, sushi.
0: What we're talking like the triple digit, like you know, bill sushi, like the good one. We'll yeah, do it. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. We're not gonna. You know, it's the thing. It's our post pandemic, the pandemic splurge. It's coming. I'm trying to get that started on Tinder. You know, Twitter as well, but Tinder too. You know, just all avenues. A lot just, of of just really trying to get the trying to stimulate the economy. <laughs> yeah. Pandemic surge. Yeah, I'm just trying to get anything going on Tinder for being we're keeping it a buck. You know, I'm just trying to get <laughs> going. You know, you can do. Uh, no, but today we have a uh, pretty exciting episode. We're back after a little hiatus. I uh, had some stuff happen in my personal life and kind of just need a break for the week. And you know, Abe was luckily willing to oblige for that and didn't take me to tasks on wanting to miss a week. So thank you so much for that, Abe. But Abe, while I was gone, we've had two weeks. What was your always improving moment in those last two weeks? That is kind of the goal of the show.
1: Uh, My always improving has been establishing uh a skincare routine uh thanks to my girlfriend who was like you need to really like you don't take good enough care care of like your your skin you gotta work on that and i was like okay like what do i buy like how often do i use it like what's the sideboard like, so guide breaking down yeah yeah exactly <laughs> like, like what i understand the matchup is just like me against my skin but like you know like what's like I know I gotta wash my face, but like, what what do I need to be doing more to like improve my percentages? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she she really helped me there, and that was really awesome. And a little bonus was that I got my second shot. I got my I got Pfizer Friday part two. Just this last Friday, really excited about it because uh, now you know I'm vaccinated and it's awesome. And if you're not vaccinated and have the opportunity to do so, listener, do it. It's very easy. Just Google yeah.
0: it. It's very very much close to you in Florida. They just no lines basically most days so hey do it man mm. yeah, that, that's awesome to hear i'm happy to hear that is it is it one of those routines that like we talking under 10 minutes or you know like is this like a commitment is this like you can put on a potty while you're starting it or do you know do you just like a one done on a song
1: uh it, it's like a one done it's just like a more like focused like what mm. kinds of face wash i'm using and like exfoliating and stuff and gotcha
0: well, that's dope. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, my always referring moment was really making sure to get to task on things and get stuff done and make sure I'm like doing it. Uh, a lot of the times it's very easy to put stuff off. Like I'm pretty, I'm a pretty busy person. Like I work a full-time job. I do this podcast. I write for Card Kingdom. I, I stream like a pretty good bit. And it's very easy to be like, and just be like, i don't not want to do anything right now. Uh, And I've just been trying to make sure that I'm doing this stuff, and especially with the stuff going on in my personal life, it was very easy the first couple, like, day or two, just to, like, not anything, it's all going by, ignore all the problems or anything. And I just can't do that. That's just not a a way to live life, and you know. It's not functioning. (laughs) You're not doing that sort of stuff. So just kind of making sure to get things done, you know. That means the podcast, or it also means, you know, like, it's gonna sound really dumb, but sometimes it's like, oh my god, I need to play with the stupid Is it deck and historic so that I can write about it for the article this week. And it's like I already know how the games are gonna play out. I-, I can imagine. It's like I gotta put some games in so I know I'm not like you know blowing smoke or whatever. And uh, yeah, it's sometimes just really hard to get yourself to do that. It's as crazy as it might seem. It's like, yeah, you just have to play magic. It's it's a lot
1: different at a certain point, which is a weird thing I never thought I would say. Yeah, I've definitely, when I was writing for Star City, I had weeks like that where it was like, you know, like, especially because then I was, that was probably the busiest I've ever scheduled my life, was I was like traveling to all the opens and writing and taking like a full, uh, like full time course load of a bunch of pretty hard economics classes. I was like, well, I've got a red eye out of Texas and there's a, then it snowed back home. So I can't actually get home immediately. So I'm going to have to miss class. So now I'm doing my classwork and writing this article and I guess I'm going to write it on mono red like chain whirler did well at this event i'm just gonna like uh, you know like play a game of moto on the like a two of moto on the airport uh like wi-fi and like get through it but it's like you just really you really have to t- get there and s- like tell yourself you're doing it and force yourself to do it you know, it's like a real act of perseverance to to get through uh like what is really work sometimes when it comes to playing magic or even just doing mundane things, especially when you have things going on in your personal life, it can be so exhausting, but putting one foot in front of the other and getting it done is really, uh, really admirable and a really good skill to, uh, to make sure that you, you foster in yourself.
0: Yeah. It'd be easy if I could just play. And I didn't have to think critically about the games. That's the hard part is that what, I, I don't think some of my friends have talked to, I've talked to them about this. So I don't think they get it, but I think you'll get it since you've you know, been doing content for a little bit now and a couple different avenues where it's like, Sometimes when I play Magic, I'm just vibing, right? Like, I'm talking to, like, the homies on Discord, and I'm just, like, clicking, and, you know, I'm like, my brain isn't really doing, we're kind of just doing an activity. Could be cookie clicker, right? Like, we're, we're good. Yeah. But the rest of the time when I need to actively focus and do stuff like that, I treat it like it's a job or work and stuff like that. And sometimes even more so because I'm much more passionate about it than I am other things. And so I give it a lot more attention and thought and effort. And that leads it to sometimes being not the most fun experience because of how much I want to put into it, you know, where it's like, I need to really put a lot into this. I can't, you know, half bake this or whatever I can, not you know, like if i start to like lose attention, that's really bad. I'm dedicating this time to do this thing. So it's it's a weird experience. I know it's one I never thought I would uh, quite have. But here we are. We're doing it. It's just happy it sometimes. Abe. Do you know what happened recently? to
1: me uh what what recently happened to you
0: well uh all my friends and I have the the Pfizer and the Moderna I don't know you know I don't know if you've heard Abe I have two shots um that's wild yeah it's wild it's crazy you know just it's just been five months for me it's no big deal it's no big deal you know it's not like a thing no one talks about no one at all not me uh but I finally got to hang out with some friends and I got to play magic in person which was a wild experience for a couple reasons one my friend had a Lurus in their deck it was just kind of on the board it was just like in a, it wasn't even in a zone. It was like in a corner of a play map, but it wasn't like a commander or it was indicated because it's got to be sleeved the same way, you know, because it could go to your hand and your deck and stuff. It was a weird experience, but it was an awesome experience. I got to play magic. It was super fun and it made me want to get cards. So I went to Oasis Games, our sponsor, and I was able to pick up the stuff I needed for prowess and Amulet Titan and get it shipped off to me. And then when I was doing that too, I was like, dang, you know, like I've always wanted to build a cube. Cubes are, the idea of it's super fun. It really, like, stimulates the part of my brain about designing and stuff like that. And I'd always heard about Ryan Overturf's two-person cube. And he actually dropped an episode of a podcast about that on the 540. So I'll give him a little shout-out there on the Star City Network. Um, And I listened to his podcast, and I was like, dang, this is really interesting. It's so much easier to have a cube that, like, two people can draft and then up to four. Because it's actually 180 cards. So if you had, you know, three packs of 15, it works out perfectly. Where there's 180 cards, everyone gets to see everything. I want to build a cube and I want to be able to like play this cube with my friends, whatever, because you know, you got to stay in small circles. It's a group still, even with the the vaccine and whatnot. And I want to have like, you know, a two person cube so I can sit down and play a friend. And it's also something I can bring to an event. I think it'll be a lot of fun to have. So I built the cube, ordered the cards on Friday and I actually was slaving them up right before we started the show. So I went to Oasis games and got all that. And I mean, it was like three days, Abe, it was so quick. And you can get all those cards as well very quickly using code Would That Be Good at Checkout to get 4% off every order. And you can use the code CCMTG for your first order to get 15% off, which is a huge, massive savings. If you make a big order like that, I, if it was my first time ordering for them, I would have saved about $50. So it's a pretty
1: crazy experience. See, that's crazy to me, Mason, because I actually also just went to oasis games and went and did something that you advised me to do several episodes ago which is make sure i get my cards for after the pandemic because i was like man i just got my second shot it feels real i've got a headache i want to do something but not something really intense because i you know have a headache uh, <laughs> <I> have the, <laughs> shot. Simulating
0: so, the coronavirus i feel like i'm dying <laughs>
1: exactly so i'm gonna go get uh, I'm going to go get my retail therapy on. And I went down to Oasis game as, as well and capitalized as my first time shopping there on the CCMTG code for some monster savings on all of the standard cards. I could see myself needing for eternal formats or for, you know, post rotation SCG opens. Just, I, I just got all the hits and it was crazy. They had it all in stock. It was very easy. It took me like an hour to make sure I had everything. in most of that was me organizing, knowing what I needed. Uh, otherwise it's just clicks and we were good. So, you know, that's really awesome. Also, if you're not someone who really cares about paper cards, because, you know, you don't, you can go over to Grey Viking Games and get a bunch of cool stuff over there. I know that there were secret lairs uh, a couple weeks ago that we talked about how you can get them. You can still get them. You can still get those codes from them over Great Viking Games using code CCMTG at checkout for 10% off uh, of your cosmetic or promo pack or FNM code order.
0: Yeah, and you know what, Abe? I recently learned something about Great Viking Games I think is super important. So maybe at this point in this year every week... And you're a paper onlyer. You're super hyped. You've got your two shots too. Welcome to Two Shot Gang. We love to have you here. And you can't wait to play Paper Magic in about six months or whatever. And you're super hyped. And you've bought some secret layers, but you don't play Arena. You don't have any friends that play Arena. Your friends have taste. They only play Legacy, Modern, the good formats. You can actually sell your codes to Great Viking Games as well, Abe. So if you're someone who's bought the secret layers and you have these codes, or those sort of any sort of codes like that. You can actually go to Grave Viking Games and sell your codes as well. So if you're looking oh, in order to make a quick buck, I have no code to get you extra money. But I just thought, hey, you know what? we were talking about this thing. This is actually a really cool service. I have friends who are just like, does anyone want this code? Like, I don't play Arena. And we always jump in to get it. And hey, that actually makes the secret layers, you know, 10, 15 bucks cheaper depending on the code. So I think it's actually just a great way. If you're someone who's going to buy a bunch of secret layers, you should definitely sell that uh, to them. Especially yeah, if you have multiples.
1: That's sick. Yeah, if you're a paper-only gamer who loves that, uh loves those sweet alternate border or, you know, whatever alternate art cards, and you wanna you wanna shave a little bit off your purchase, Grave Viking Games is also the place for you. That's amazing, Mason. Yeah.
0: Super happy to see that and you know, throw people that way. Abe, this is normally the part of the show where we bring up the Patreon question, which is the last way to support the show over at patreon.com slash ccmtg. But the Patreon question was so interesting and good and worthy of being a main topic that we just decided to spin it into the main one. But you had this great idea Abe, for something to kind of do as a little bit of a fun exercise and something that we are kind of both passionate about. And hopefully the listeners will like, uh, brought on my modern horizon 2's announcement
1: of cards. So Abe, what's this idea you sort of had? So, uh, something that a lot of listeners might not know is that both Mason and I have a love for the design of magic. Uh, And so I thought it'd be fun to, you know, take a little bit of time, throw brainstorm a bit, and come up with, like, a card that we think would be really cool to see in Modern Horizons 2 uh, and just talk about them and, like, you know, what goes on and how you came to that and the evaluation of them. And just, you know, talk about cards we think would be awesome to see in a set that is so unique in that it's printed directly to the power level of Modern uh, and kind of just slot into places where, Uh, the modern format you know like wants to wants to see something new explored or has like a a missing link or something so it's like why not just both throw a little card at the wall talk about them i think it'd be fun and i think that you know if you're a listener and you don't care and you hate it that you can um i don't know let us know that or tough through and skip the main topic yeah, it'll uh, be
0: like 10 minutes. You can like skip it. Maybe last time. Skip it yeah. a little bit. Or there. maybe
1: give it a shot. And then let us know on Twitter something whose card you think is cooler and you'd like more. Like, Or if you think that we're crazy whack jobs for ever designing a card that would ever be that good or bad. We just don't know anything. Let us know that too. Like, why not? All I know is so. this,
0: Abe, is that before Modern Horizons was announced... I told a WotC to staff about my idea for Force of Negate, which is Force of nega- Force of Negation, but my version was way worse than the one they printed, so <laughs> 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 mine was three mana, you lost a life, and it did not exile, so, you know, it was like, whoa, <laughs> so uh, sometimes they surprise us. By the way, the Saga Land, so mad I didn't think about putting Sagas on other things. Uh, after I saw that, it was so obvious, and I was so mad. But uh, what was your first,
1: like, what was your card that you came up with, Abe? I'd love to hear it. So my card, my, my process was actually this morning. I was like in bed and I was getting up, I was making breakfast. I was like, dude, like I said this thing last night that we should like make cards. And I have no idea where I'm starting. So I was just thinking like, man, like what are things I want to see in modern? And I remembered that playing Affinity was one of my favorite things to do. But then they banned Mox Opal. Mm-hmm. And the deck got a lot worse. But also, not only did they ban Mox Opal, I remember playing against traditional affinity when I was playing a Monored Arclay Phoenix deck with a Lava Dart in it. And was like, you just can't... Lava Dart's like the best the best card, like one of the best cards in one of the best decks right now. You just can't really play... Uh, Signal Like, affinity. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you yeah. just can't play those cards unless you're just going to draw Ravager every game. Uh, or, like, and you can't really play, like, Overseer... There's just a lot of things you can't do anymore. A lot of those cards are kind of phased out and invalidated. So I was like, what if I just designed a card that fit in with that? So that being said, my card is a one mana, one, two artifact creature. No, it does not get lava darted. <laughs> it does not. No. Uh, it does not. And it has monstrous... (laughs) But you have to do some work. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just straight up. You can't just... It doesn't get gut shot, you know? Sure, sure. sure. You gotta gotta try. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So it's got monstrous uh, X. I'm not sure actually how you template this. I was kind of like off the cuff, but it's the monstrous cost is that you sacrifice another permanent. And then when it becomes monstrous, you put X plus one plus one counters on each other creature you control. Because it has monstrous X, so it gets... Equal X counters equal to this number, which is the number of card types the sacrifice permanent the fa- sacrifice permanent was. So if you sacrifice like an artifact creature, you get to put two counters on all your creatures, uh, or like an artifact land, and two counters on this thing. And so it's like, you know, you kind of dump your hand. You get to play this one drop off your spring leaf drum, and now you're like pretty protected. It's a good way to use. You don't have Mox Opal anymore, unfortunately, but it's a good way to use. Just extra things lying around in a way that Arcbound Ravager does, but I'm sorry, did you say the CMC
0: of this card? Like how much the mana? Yeah, it's a one, one
1: mana one two. One mana one two. Okay, and then yeah. It has, so it
0: you basically has like you know, monstrous, but like kicker, sacrifice X, and then probably plus two plus two counters on all your creatures because in theory you're an artifact deck, which so like you would have artifact creature, artifact land on everything.
1: Like, yeah on everything you could but yeah. like yeah so so you'd sacrifice and if you really wanted to get i was thinking about this right before the show i was like man that's actually kind of broken it's really if you really wanted fun. to get Despy, you could activate your blink moth nexus and then sacrifice it and then you've got artifact creature land mm-hmm. which is just whoo that's that's a lot but obviously it's very disruptable there's there's some back and forth there on like playing insects with one mana removal spells you can just like fatal push this in response so you know the monstrous doesn't resolve and therefore it doesn't get all the counters and spread all the counters um but it also you know makes it so that you have another thing that's worth playing that you can you know throw an ornithopter into or throw a springleaf drum into to uh like get some value and protect your other things from uh from dying to this like extremely cheap removal as well it would probably need some tuning yeah. Like I said, I had this I had this idea this morning, and by the time that we were recording I had realized a pretty big like plus three plus three encounters <laughs> is way too much. Like, it's, it's a so lot. Good. It's a lot. Well, especially because the way you templated it, you can
0: sacrifice multiple things.
1: Right? Like the Well, no, because monstrous can only resolve once. You can only have it become monstrous one time. Yeah, but you said monstrous so, X, and you said X is sacrificing. Well no, so it's monstrous X, because that's I believe monsters you have to like list the number of counters it gets and X is defined by the Oh, uh, sure, sure, sure. So it yeah. itself gets counters equal to the card types. Gotcha. And then okay. everything else also gets a counter upon resolution. But you couldn't you could like activate and then if they go to kill it you could activate again and it would just resolve with the one that's highest on the stack. Yeah. But uh yeah. So like I could stack an Ornithopter and you a lightning bolt and I could sack another Ornithopter for example.
0: Okay, th- but... this is where
1: you and I differ. So
0: a lot of time when I pitch a card to someone i i think uh, this sounds sort of dumb i think thematics matter a lot and i think like they resonate with players and people and they help identify what the card is and so when you talk about this card uh, this is going to sound so dumb but my brain imagine what phyrexian tarmogoyf would look like and i think your card would be so cool as an oh one that was like the phyrexian tarmogoyf that would be such a cool design but uh, yeah
1: so so my idea was actually yeah like i knew that my brain also went phyrexian when i was like because I had this idea for a long time. I think actually since the last great designer search, where they asked like what mechanic you bring back, like the one I'd make evergreen for that was Exert, but the one that I bring back was monstrous. Because I think there's just a lot of cool flavor and idea you can do with monstrous. Of like, you know, like if this thing is just some machine that becomes a monster by consuming something else. I feel like that's very Phyrexian. Yeah, and, uh, would be really sick, especially with the card type stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so
0: that's your card's a great Phyrexian Tarmogoyf. Like the, I, I know they're like, they're Lorgoyfs, you know, so like you just have a Lorgoy Phyrexian, you know, even evocative yeah. of the art. Like, you know how that thing's like, so like twisted and warped. Imagine if it was me- me- like metal and mechanic yes. and chrome. it <laughs> <so> Mecha
1: Tarmogoyf. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <Mecha-goyf>. <laughs> It'd be very cool. That'd be awesome. Well, that's dope. I, I really like the, uh, the idea of that. And yeah, I think the, the cool thing about Modern Horizons is like, the, they're kind of, pointed designs right like a lot of the times there are some things that are like there's this thing do this thing right and like like here's a you know a game piece figure out what to do with it but there are other ones that are like this game piece is supposed to work with this one and this one definitely feels like hey if we're trying to get affinity back would this do it it sounds like your card to be insane in hard skills too but uh (laughs) it it's pretty cool
1: it's pretty exciting i I like that a lot all right I was pretty, I was pretty happy with it. I was like, this is probably the, the closest I'm gonna get in a day, and uh, you know, nothing's perfect. It, it could be worked out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But Mason, what, what's what's your idea? I know you you teased some some <laughs> things to me about what you thought <laughs> thought you were gonna gonna bring, but I'm very excited to hear about it. Well, this is so you know, uh, I've been thinking about this
0: like as a like a thing that I've had for a while, and when you were like, do you want to do this? I'm like, yeah, I've already thought of my card. I, I made it a long time ago. Modern Horizons 2 and so I'm ready so when the first Horizons came around you know I I was like you know I I thought like the force in the gate was a cool idea that'd be awesome one to do whatever and then shortly after the release of Modern Horizons 1 I was like could you do multicolor forces like is that a thing that is doable right Um, and is that fun etc how would you do them and I don't know if it's fun or not but I always thought the idea of having like the force cycle but for the would be really cool. And so the way it would work is, is you'd have like four, you know, force of the Bayou or whatever, or like force of the Moss. And the one I always thought of was like, it's a blue green hybrid card. Uh, sorry, blue and a green card. And it'd be like four blue green. And if you pitch a blue card, you counter target spell unless it's controller pays three. If you pitch a green card, you blossoming defense. So plus two, plus two and hexproof to a creature. And if you cast the card, it does both. Right. So, it kind of, it would be a card to kind of win a stack fight, but it can do multiple things in your hand as a force. And obviously those two different cards are very powerful, uh, in different scenarios, but they can also work together given the perfect opportunity, which I think creates some pretty interesting and exciting moments. And so that was sort of my card is, you know, two blue green, when you cast it, you can counter target spell and listen control it pace three and target creature gets plus two, plus two. And if you set, discard a blue card, you get the mana leak, discard a green card you get the blossoming defense and that's kind of mine. So what do you think Abe, as a multicolor force of will idea?
1: I think that that concept is really cool, kind of like a split card of forces that's also just like a uh just like a command of the colors on uh on like the face value if you hardcast it.
0: Yeah, like fuse cards kind of, right? Like like
1: it's yeah. it's a little
0: weird how you would template it to work, but you could do it for sure.
1: Yeah, that's for someone. That's someone else's job. To yeah, exactly. Is, I'm, I'm pitching how ideas. you how you word that. <laughs> yeah, I'm pitching ideas, blue cards and green cards. That's right. But like, what happens? If you pitch a blue green card. Do you get both anyway? Like, that's an interesting question that I. Uh, that that. So I thought about that and I
0: figured that yes, that's what would happen. Uh, because I figured the way the card would be templated is like, you may cast this spell if you do exile by exiling card. If it's blue, you get this. If it's green, get this. So it'd be like, you know, you get both by exiling a blue green card which you know would make the spell free or whatever but i also don't know how much like is i think it's really hard to actually use both those modes together at the same time so if you did use them for free that would probably be really powerful but i think being able to use either half of it would be cool i think it's also a cool way to get more forces into those colors right because you could play that card like the fear is actually that (laughs) you could play it as a uh blue force of will right where a blue mana leak or whatever that's like free you know like you're just a blue deck like i'm an is it deck that just gets free mana leak if i'm willing to discard a card because you know maybe that's stronger than force of negation in a lot of contexts um
1: yeah but yeah that is kind of concerning to me that like in in uh, other formats or even in modern that you'd get like a pitch this card and a blue card mana leak in like you know like you could play that in Maybe not like Storm, but like in some other proactive combo deck. Yeah, probably not too hard. But if you gave it the Force Negation clause, you can only do that on your opponent's turn.
0: Yeah, you uh, probably
1: would. That I mean, all all the modern era
0: forces yeah. have that, so just probably put some like that on there. I've also thought about making it so you like have to pitch a, a blue green card, and then you pick the mode you want. You know, so like if you hardcast it, you get both. But if you pitch like you know your Ice Fang Coaddle... It, uh, you pick a mode and you get that one for free. But I think if you did that because you're pitching gold cards, which are, you know, supposed to be stronger, you would need the modes on it to be stronger. But, uh, you know, that's kind of a more, of like, what are our bigger goals about, like, power level and stuff like that. But for I'm trying to figure out yeah. how to do a multicolored force, I think it's a really interesting idea that has a lot of different avenues to go down.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a concept that I had never considered. But, like, now that you're talking to me about it, I'm like, wow, that could, like be kind of it's really dangerous because it's free spells but like it is very cool if if it like works Mm. uh and i also thought that it's kind of funny to me that the modes you chose are very similar to like how i envision people wanting to play quandrix command where it's like (laughs) i'm gonna like i'm gonna like remand your thing ish and like put some counters on my creature uh especially now that i know that you'd had this design like
0: I had it for two kind years. Kind of
1: floating around in your head. Yeah, for yeah, yeah, yeah. much longer than Quadrix Man has been around.
0: Yeah, th- I actually have a tweet uh, from back probably like a month before or a month after Modern Horizons came out. Uh, and I was like, hey, like, I had this idea. Here's the blue green one. Do you guys have like, what would you do for the other colors? Because it kind of became like, and I kind of put like, don't worry about power level. I'm just kind of curious what people would say. And now Play Design Emma Handy replied with, you know, those two car- modes you have are like, very different in power level, right? And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I get it, but like, you know, I'm trying to trying to make something happen here. I don't care about power level that much. So
1: Yeah, we're we're out here we're out here trying to we can tune that. We can pick other things that green does at instant speed and sorcery speed. It could be know, like, like a fight, you know, like a,
0: like an instant speed fight would be very strong. That's the other idea I've always had for the green one. But
1: mm. yeah, there's there's just a lot of there's a lot of potential there. It could it could be like yeah, anything that those colors do, really.
0: Uh, yeah, especially together. I think I I think I think it's a really cool idea. And honestly, if it's not in Modern Horizons 2 or 3, like multicolored forces, I'll be kind of sad. Because I think it's a really, like... Like, once you think, like, the forces were so cool, how do we do more of these? It's very easy to go back and do more monocolored ones. But, like, you could do hybrid ones, you know, which are essentially easier to cast multicolored ones. Um, and I think that's just, like, a really cool area that would be very excuse me very much like whoa you know like that's insane how does that you know like how do we do this and so
1: yeah i i can only imagine the frustration and outrage of like so many legacy and vintage players learning what all these new forces do and (laughs) i I do think
0: it's i'll just say this real quick before you go on that's one of my big fears about this is that like if you do introduce a lot of forces it plays a lot without the stack and without mana and i think that's a huge and great part of magic and I don't like stepping so far away from that. But, you know. Yeah,
1: it is a it is an incredibly dangerous on power level thing to do. And I think they actually did it very well in Modern Horizons 1 in that, you know, Force of Vigor and Force of Will are the two most powerful in very obvious terms. Or not Force well, Force of Negation are the two most powerful in very obvious terms. And neither of them has felt so pushed that in the formats that they were intended for they've been like incredibly problematic so yeah i don't um, know for
0: sure i i'm curious if that's a pandemic thing for us though because what i've heard from the motor grinders that play magic all the time on like modern is that force negation to them feels super oppressive like it's like they wish it wasn't printed like i know for a lot of people that was their least favorite card from horizons I
1: have I have heard that sentiment a lot, but I'm not sure how much of that was also just bolstered by the like fact that we spent so much of our time playing Uro Omneth. Yeah. Like Mystic Sanctuary Mirrors, you know? I agree. Um, and you know, we'll find out. But I think that the fact that the fact that it's like close and that I feel okay about it makes me I feel very grateful that we can kind of walk away from on Horizons one and addition of five new free spells to to magic. That are all very impactful uh well, didn't turn out to like ruin everything right we had six free spells and one of them well. did turn out
0: to. Ruin out okay. i've got so- idea,
1: a green i've got an idea for a green black force you can only <laughs> cast it from your graveyard and you can't use mana <laughs> what do you think mason it just makes uh like an eight eight trample oh gosh I-, I think that'd be pretty strong
0: I had, a, yeah, I had a buddy who we joked about, like you know, in Mon Horizon Two, they're just gonna put Hogak again and hope the power level's high enough that it's Gucci. And then I was like, what if they just did like Hogak Two and it says Hogak Hogak? And it was everything's the same except it's just a 2-2, And it's just like, look, it's Hogak Two. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know, it's a tutu, but it'd still be good, probably. Well, I
1: mean, maybe. Yeah, but anything it, that doesn't cost you mana. And impact the game in a one in, in a cards worth of value is really really good in Magic, oh, <laughs> and you so, you know, four mana two two you can only cast from your graveyard with delve and convoke is still probably good enough to trigger your Vengevine to be a, to be a problem. <laughs> All right, uh, well that was our ten minutes, Abe. We did it. <laughs> we... Yeah, I'm glad we got that out of our system. It was a lot of fun. We will likely talk more Modern Horizons two as we know more about the set and about the cards and how that's going to fit into Modern. So it will get its you own know, pick thanks. two. It's it's the only supplementary product that gets a pick two. Oh, that's sick. I'm yeah. I'm hot on that. I didn't even realize.
0: Yeah, you, you uh, I am gonna go back here very soon and listen to the pick two for Modern Horizons one. Um <laughs> but it was very long because, you know, we, at the time we had three people as the hosts of the show of CC. Yeah. And uh there's a lot to talk about. Uh and I know that we missed on some of those really hard. I know we hit on some of them really hard, so I'm excited to go back. Like I remember being going to bat for Urza and getting, like, really? (laughs) You know? And I was like, no, I think it's really good. Uh, But I know we definitely, like, everyone but train this on Hogak
1: and, you know, da-da-da-da-da. So it's going to be a fun time. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. And, uh, you know, if this slice of us talking about cards and design and, like, whatever was interesting to you guys or not interesting, let us know either way, uh, either through Twitter or through... You know the Patreon, or however you choose to get in contact with us, because we would love to know if this is something that we should work in as a segment for more often. If we do like a Patreon question is really good, and we feel like we can get a whole episode out of it um, to bring to you. And if this is something you want, or if you want something completely different, or none of it, uh, it really helps us when you give us your feedback. So thanks a lot for bearing with us on this. And now we get to we get to tell everyone what this amazing patron question is Mason.
0: Yeah. So the, the patron question was from Adrian and the original question was as a competitive player, how do you watch streams to learn? Um, I think that that's, you know, a, a great question because obviously sometimes we watch streams just to chill, right? Like, like, you know, even mad streams, we're just kind of vibing or whatever, you know, like I not go to misplaced ginger's Twitch channel to learn, you know, I just go there to vibe. And so <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I think there's a lot to it and, you know, just beyond that topic in general, how do you like research about things and learn about things in general? So you know when it comes to other ways of magic. So like we talk about like streams, content, deck lists, etc. Uh, we're gonna kind of talk about that stuff today, but I think we should tackle the you know the original part of the Patreon question first. And how do we learn from streams? And Abe, if you don't mind, I'll uh, I'll take the lead here on this first part. Oh please go ahead. So when it comes to learning from streams in general. The main thing that I try to do, uh, if I'm in like learning mode is put aside all my biases. So a lot of the time I already have thoughts and opinions about stuff because I'm very plugged into magic and it's a very big part of my life. It's very rare that I'm watching something and I don't already have an opinion on it. Right. Um, it's just not a normal experience, especially for standard and historic. And so if I'm watching, you know, a a Twitch stream, I'll try to put aside my biases and be like, okay. This person is saying they're playing this because they think it's good, not because it's fun or whatever, but like they're wanting to think this deck is good. I want to listen and learn and not think about the stuff that I already think about this deck, you know? And try and come with it as fresh of a take as I can and not try to well actually or find ways to already prove my point. Because I, I know what I think already about stuff, right? where I have, like, my first inclinations. I don't need to use them as a way to prove the point. And so I watch, try to, like, see about how things unfold, how it plays out, and also listen to what they're saying. You know, a lot of times uh, Magic Streamers will talk about their deck. And they'll talk about, like, what they want the deck to do or what they're hoping about the deck. And I try to think about, are they reaching those goals? Are there better ways to reach those goals? You know, or is there things we can do to help this deck out? And I also make sure to pay attention to the games and make sure that, like, when I'm watching, it's the streamer... If they win or lose, it's... And I'm going to take the credit for that. It needs to be things that actually matter in the game. So, for example, like... I will credit it less if the streamer is playing and the opponent misses on board. Like, six opponents in a row miss lethal. And they're like, we're 6-0. And it's like, well, your last six opponents miss lethal. You know, like, that's... Yeah. That's a pretty big, like, you know, yes, you your deck that in a position to win. But, you know, yada yada. And so, for streamers, I, I do that. And I also just tried to make sure to think about like, why are the streamers doing this on a bigger scale when it comes to events? So like when we were playing SUGs in person and stuff, I felt very tapped in and very like wired in on what people were thinking. And it became very important to me to think about the zeitgeist and what players, uh, well, I'm sorry, what these streamers are talking about, and what content creators are talking about, because that affects the player base at large, right? Like, Abe, you and I never really see our listeners, right? Like we have a bunch of listeners. We, d- we don't know them all, right? But like what we say does play some role in your magic. Even if you just listen to us for fun and you don't take our competitive advice, we impact you in some way. And so in LSV, Brad Nelson, Jerry Thompson specifically, like I, the arena deckless effect, you know, where at the time the game effect is, we I would call it, where it's like, Jerry said, this is good, you know on friday beforehand and i expect to see more of it or his article said this along with the podcast i'm gonna expect a lot of you know on sunday at the standard classic you know blue green food or whatever um and that's kind of where it comes to streams and stuff like that i try to think about all of that stuff so that i can then make informed decisions as best i can Um, so that's kind of my approach for the whole streaming thing what about you
1: abe slash do you have any thoughts on that uh i think i i need to do uh the whole like put my own personal like thoughts and opinions aside thing a lot more when i watch streams because a lot of the times uh the streams i watch i go in with like very much trying to see like okay i want to see like what's happening while i'm not there so it's like a watch for example, like misplaced ginger stream and be like, you know, I haven't played standard in a couple weeks. I still feel these ways about things. Like, how does he feel? Does he feel differently? Like is what are the decks he's playing against? Is that still the same decks I was expecting to play against last week? Stuff like that. Um Instead of just taking in like kind of in, in a vacuum what it is that they're putting out as content for me to absorb. So that's something I, I can probably work on more. I'm just thinking about, But usually, when I take time to watch streams, it's especially if it's like to improve or to learn something, it depends on what I'm trying to learn. But the way that I'll watch the stream changes dramatically between it. So, like, uh, let's say there's a format that I haven't played in a long time, which has happened a couple times over uh, the last year, is that I'll want to play modern for the. the like mana traders event or i want to play pioneer and i haven't touched those formats in a long while because i've only been playing the SUGs. but i know that kane kane reinhardt sneaky masato on twitch uh has been playing moto non-stop basically for the last year and uh him and i have pretty similar playstyles, or at least pretty similar understandings of of the format and where we like to be and so i'll go to his stream and just check out you know What has he been playing in Pioneer? What has he been playing in Modern? Does he like it? Does he not like it? And then I'll kind of like do what you say, which is I'll start to, because I come in knowing nothing, just watching and absorbing things based on his perspective and then kind of come to my own conclusions based on what I'm seeing uh, alongside him. So like there's a lot where he was playing green, white, uh, like Reclaimer Titan. And I was like, you know, these blue soup decks seem a lot better but <laughs> you know <laughs> you probably just don't want to play it so uh but, but you know like I, that was something i got to see after seeing kind of the weaknesses of the titan deck and how it played out uh or recently with pioneer he was playing like sacrifice and uh i was i wasn't like that sure that sacrifice was very good until the uh the recent bans which then made it very good it was just you know you, In that case, I'm coming in looking for information on a format that that person, to me, is a very, uh, very strong source of good information. And I'm just taking it in and trying to, like, you know, piece together from it as if it were my own experiences. I'm outsourcing the work of actually going out and playing the magic to someone who I can trust and, like, choosing a deck that I want to battle with to someone I can trust and then taking it in and internalizing it the same way I would my own games. But if I were to say, decide that I'm going to play uh, like standard rogues and I need to, I'm going to go watch people playing rogues. The way I watch is completely different because I would come in with a goal different than just gathering information of gathering specific information on what I'm watching. So like if I need to know sideboard plans for this deck I'm playing, uh, I would look at a bunch of people who are playing the same deck as me Maybe they have different sideboards than I do. Maybe they have some different card selections than than I currently do. And, you know, I could ask them what it is that they like about those sideboards. How do they come to those numbers? Why do they sideboard the way they do? Or just go through, a, a, like, uh, the video and, like, pause on the times where they sideboard and go back and listen and see if they say something about it. Or if they don't say anything about it, kind of look at the way they play the game once they've sideboarded to see how they're choosing to play it out if that's the same way i would approach the matchup or not and really start breaking it down much further once i know that i'm looking for something a lot smaller like the the more specific the topic you're trying to understand and the more specific thing you're trying to learn uh the more that i suggest like kind of taking it out of like a live experience and going in and breaking down the videos from streams because you can get so much more done and so much more efficiently and that's like usually how when it comes to like picking a deck and kind of mastering it quickly which i've had to do before um i think most recently it was like the last invitational where i didn't have time to play much pioneer cuz the format was new and just watched like todd anderson's vods of him like going back to back in top 8s of uh pioneer ptqs on on magic online and just like watched the vods saw he was sideboarding listened to see how he was talking about the matchups watched the games tried to see if if there was anything there that said, you know, oh, there's this deck that actually I think will beat, you know, the, the mono green deck or Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, But yeah, like coming in with knowledge of what you want to learn makes it pretty different. But in general, if you want to learn from watching something, uh, just take it in and like really pay attention to all the things that are happening. Like, pay attention to the hands that people are keeping or not keeping. And if you disagree because you're kind of basing it against your own opinions, ask the person why, if it's a streamer who, you know, has chat open and is talking. uh, If it's a VOD, like, you know, maybe ask someone else who you can trust or reach out on Twitter. I'm sure that most content creators just love that stuff. So um, yeah, when it comes to streams in particular, I think that's most of what I do. Yeah. I, I think it is also, it is
0: very important. Like you said, like I tried to give like a broad general example where like I'm coming in dry basically. Um, but with the intent of like, Hey, I plan to learn or whatever you know, Where like, I'm, I'm focused. I'm not kind of just vibing, you know, for lack of a better term. Uh, but yeah, I think having a plan and goals and what you're trying to achieve, as we talked about so much on this show is so important. It makes the process so much easier. Um, so I would say to keep that stuff in mind when it comes to other content, I'm curious, because I don't think you and I have really talked about this a lot, despite it being a thing that I know we've both kept kind of done. Decklist dumps is one of the things we wrote down here for trying to, like, learn about and do. And how do you approach decklist dumps? Because I'm going to be honest. A lot of times, I just kind of look through them. I read them. If I'm playing an SCG or something that weekend, I'll make sure to read all the decklists and look at all the cyborg cards and, like, try to pay attention to trends. Excuse me, trends or whatever. And I'll try to make sure that, like, oh, like is this some tech I should be doing or whatever? But for the most part, I kind of just look through them and I don't try to lean too much into it because deckless dumps are so broad and it's so easy to get in a deckless dump, you know,
1: like specifically leagues. Yeah. So what, what do you, what do you think about deckless dumps? So this might just be wisdom. That's from another time, but back when they used to give us even more decks than they do now for magic online, I think it was just right? all, all <laughs> of the decks that, that five owed, uh, you could learn so much by just sitting there and trying to figure out. You'd like see a card that you didn't understand, like why it was in the sideboard, and you'd sit there and figure out why it was in the sideboard, and you would just learn so much about what that person thinks about like the metagame or a matchup. And uh, I think I guess the most recent time that this came up for for me and like using the skill and really just going through a deck dump was an article I wrote for Star City about the like the modern medic like modern as a format and how like even more than the times it was just like kCI and like humans and Phoenix were like the best decks. And like at the time, I went in and I looked at all of these decks and noticed that everyone was just trying to. Like, do these things that allowed them to do things for free. Like, the format was getting so much about ways to cheat on mana and less so on, like, card advantage. Like, there were these Delver decks that didn't have Snapcaster Mage in them but had Disrupting Shoals and stuff. So it was, like, wild to me to see that. And you can just learn a lot by looking at what's actually happening in a format um, and what people are trying, and it can kind of tell you where... The hive mind is going as far as like, okay, what are we... What are the problems we have that we're trying to solve? How are we trying to solve them? It's something you can really see, especially when the format's very active, by just looking over uh, looking over people trying to innovate and seeing their deck lists and trying to see their thought processes. I know that there was... The first time this really clicked for me was before Grand Prix. It was like a Grand Prix Pittsburgh where... Like, the decks were Mardu Vehicles, Jeskai Sahili, and, like, uh, Green Black Energy. Uh, or, like, Snake. I think it was just... People just called it Snake back then. But, yeah, it was, like, I was looking at all these Mardu deck lists, and I was, like, I saw a Skywailer shot, and I asked my friend, like, what is this doing here? Like, And he was, like, I don't know. Figure out how you'd sideboard with that deck, and, like, the three major mashups we're talking about here, and then, like, think through where it's good and where it's not, and, like, you know, like, what problems is it solving and what does it allow them to do? And I just learned so much from that one exercise of then going through all of these Mardu deck lists because this was back when we had a ton of them, uh, just every 5 when it was one of the most winning decks on Magic Online, and going, okay, I like this person's idea of, like, boarding up an additional, like, shambling vent and uh, fumigates to be able to beat like Snake because you need to take the controlling role in this matchup. And that alone, like understanding that that person was doing that and winning just told me so much about how that matchup is supposed to play out and informs your decision on like, I just learned that as in the snake versus Mardu matchup, like snake is way better at taking the board. And therefore Mardu needs to find a way to either, you know, is there one card that causes that? Is there one specific thing going on that causes that, or do they just shift their game plan entirely so that they can try to like counter counter that strategy? So like, I don't know. Deck dumps might be kind of like watered down now. You get a ton of information from the SCGs now. There's just so many deck lists you get to see them all in melee. Yeah, the, it's the kinda SCGs like, are kind of like the old deck list dumps, right? Like you just yeah, just it it's all... kind of like it's coming back. Um, and I just think that if you really look at those, you can learn a ton if you really take the time to sit there and understand them. It can be pretty tough, and it can be pretty boring and pretty hard on your brain. Like, if you <laughs> you just spend a lot of time being like, is there really meaning to the fact that this deck has one Crush the Week in it, or am I just crazy? <laughs> like, am I reading you know? tea leaves? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But when you start to see the stuff pop up over, like, Trends, uh, you know, like, you start seeing more copies of, uh, like, Elder Gargaroth show up. It's like, okay, well, what's that a reaction to? I don't know. There's probably just more mono-red and mono-white in the metagame, and not enough answers to Gargaroth it's being an effective answer. Why is that good, right? So, like, Gruul did really well, Uh, I guess three weeks ago now, in the, the standard SUG before last weekend. Uh, and that was just kind of a response to a format that was not really in a good place to handle people putting lovestruck beasts and bonecrusher giants and whatever into play and just outstatting you uh and also like mystical dispute was being very played so like coma was really good that was where i ended up at and uh i ended up going like 7-2 in that in that scg in part because i was one of many people who correctly identified that having gargaroth and coma and just huge haymakers like that was where you needed to be in the current stage of the way people were building their decks cuz most people were just copying uh, like soul tie lists they saw or just playing mono red or copying the one teamer list that was floating around from Moto the week prior. And you can just learn a lot from that. I think that if you like really take the time to see how a bunch of people who are putting their brain to work, trying to solve the problem and see their thought process, you, it makes it easier for you to, you know, shortcut towards solving the problem yourself in your own creative way, and maybe finding the the best solution.
0: Okay, awesome. Yeah, I definitely I do a little deck list dumping for articles a lot of the time, like uh just kind of scouring like what are these decks all playing? So you know that like the a to help find a list for the article, but b also like when I'm talking about it, it's not like. Yeah, these people normally play Crush of the week, and it's like, yeah, this one person did, but no one else did, you know. And so, you know, like making sure that's accurate. But yeah, that that's fair. I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I think when we get more paper events, I will probably use the the melee events uh, a lot more. It's kind of my guess um, about that. When it Oop. comes when it comes to content in general, how much like Magic podcasts and stuff do you listen to out of curiosity? Because I don't actually think I know the answer to that, or I don't remember it if I do.
1: Uh, I listen to actually next to no podcasts. I read most of the... Uh, I read all of your articles at Card Kingdom, or I at least Let's click go. on them. That. Uh, and I do try to read the stuff on Star City um, that is relevant to me. I'll usually let a backlog build up and then like get back to it. It's usually pretty light reading these days. Uh, there's just not as much to talk about, but... Uh, You know, or or sometimes people put out, like, huge written things. I love written content, honestly. It's kind of like... I'm kind of a boomer in that regard. I love to read it because I can, like, go back over it or, like, really take the time to understand it and, like, see it all. Podcasts can be kind of tough because I'll just get so sucked into the conversation that I'll kind of forget why I was there sometimes. And when it comes to me, like, doing my research for Magic and, like, knowing... Trying to, like, learn something or know something... I just enjoy it too much sometimes when it comes sure. to listening. Like, it's, it's just, it's like candy for my brain, but it's like healthy candy. I don't know how to say it. It's like, yeah, yeah it's like salads with salad dressing, but you know, the salad dressing kind of bad for you. Cause it's like really like, I don't know. It's like the worst part of the salad by a lot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like you like it. So yeah. So it like really, it, it's the dressing on my salad of content consumption is to listen to podcasts.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's talk about written content then we'll end up on we're in on podcast here for written content what do you do you know like how are you, are you like looking around for content etc i know you mentioned there's kind of a backlog and stuff but do you go into like with goals in mind like we talked about earlier like is that like a repeating kind of sentiment that like hey you get to go into these things with the goals you're looking for or do you kind of do you know do you have
1: like an approach to what how do you handle this whole thing uh yeah usually what i'll do is i will in the same way that i look at deck lists and i'll go okay like now i understand how i think people are approaching things is that this is takes out the i think part is i can go and read you know a nice clean uh 2000 word piece about the cards that come in and out of the mono red deck in every matchup and then i know Or I can and I can try to figure out like why is Monarch doing these things or what matchups is it good in or bad in like I just get to know all of those things very quickly Um, and you know if there are two different people who write about the same deck like maybe they differ you can learn something about the different schools of thought of playing some of the popular decks I know that when I posted my Teamer uh, like sideboard guide and deck list earlier. Uh, I guess, like, on Thursday before the SCGs, uh, I got a lot of people responding that they just didn't know... Like, Teamer was obviously very good, but they had a hard time figuring out how to sideboard with it because there really isn't a lot out there. Like, not a lot of people have done a lot of intense, like, breakdowns. There's not an an article for it on Star City in the last, like, two months, I don't think. There's not... uh, I had to go and find an old haru one from before... Kaldheim, I think, and then kind of like look at what they were doing then, what cards they deemed like cuttable when Alrin's or I guess knows when Kaldheim first started showing up because Alrin's Epiphany was in the deck. And they were like uh you're know, like t- kind of taking that and extrapolating it with how the deck has evolved and how the format has evolved to do my own work. Uh but it's it's really just about, you know, know what you're trying to learn and then find find and research on the stuff that you can. Uh that's really like when it comes to doing your research for magic you have to know what it is you're researching to do good research and then when it comes to doing it make sure that you're getting it from sources that you trust and that you think have you know good input and don't be afraid to have two things that conflict because sometimes you'll you know see people who think one one way about something and another about another and this happened more often with paper, where some people would like one writer's take on, like, a deck, and sideboard like them as a consequence. They'd, like, net deck their deck and their sideboard guide. But then, like, someone else would be playing... I don't know. Like... Like, maybe you net deck one Lotus Box member's, uh, like... <laughs> like, Urza deck, and then you net deck to another. If you can tell the difference between those, maybe there's some difference how they sideboard in some matchups because they think about them differently or approach them differently. And... You know, that's that matters because then you now know both things, you know, like this person thinks that's right and the other person thinks the other thing's right. Now it's on you to decide how right are each of them, you know, they're probably both right some percent of the time. Can you synthesize that to something better for yourself? Do you like to play more in the patterns that, you know, one player likes than the other? Or you just get to know one person isn't going to have like cryptic command in their deck because they are th- too afraid of mystical dispute. And one person's like, yeah, you gotta trade like you gotta get your plus ones where you can. You're like trade your cryptic command for their thing. Uh but yeah, just sure. just know what you're looking looking to learn and try to try to get it all when you go out and, and get it.
0: That that makes sense. That's that's reasonable. Yeah, I think uh I think I agree with a lot of that stuff and a lot of I think once again comes down to like goals and how you do it like one thing that I would note on is a lot of times I look and this is kind of a me thing that I'm looking for what they really think about the matchup I care very little about how they sideboard and stuff um, I only care about that in the context of it's illuminating to the matchup and their opinion on it right like if someone's bringing yeah, an exactly. ancient grudge and the only artifact in the deck is inbercleave that's telling to me I care very little about like all these different sideboard guides and like how they do it because I think it's also contextual. Um, and I and I think one thing that people don't do is they don't look at the sideboard like the way they're sideboarding as a way to inform them on how they feel about the matchup. It, it can tell you a whole lot. Um, so that's one thing I like. And then when it comes to podcasts, I'll kind of tell you how I engage with podcasts in a non-candy way because I'm very much someone who learns a lot more. Uh, when it's when I'm being like speaking with someone or or being spoken to, um, I find it sometimes hard to get the full context of something out of a of uh, an article, even if the article is written like it's speaking to me or whatever. Uh, so when I'm listening, I'm very much also, as always, I, I'll have goals and stuff like that. But if I'm listening just to learn, imagine what I did with streams. But same thing here. But if I'm listening with like a specific goal in mind, I'll try to be listening to be like okay. I know going to this SCG weekend that Amulet Titan is like the deck to beat or whatever. What are these people talking about in the context of Amulet? How are they phrasing it? Are they feeling like it's a big deal? Do they think it's overhyped? How do they feel about it? like the way they're going to approach sideboarding against it? And I listen to these things to kind of once again get the kind of the picture of how, how the average person is going to think about this stuff because once again, this content affects everyone, right? And the bigger the thing you're listening to or engaging with, the more it's going to affect more people, and it will like ripple. And I help, I use that to help inform me how I'm going to build sideboards and stuff like that. And especially a lot of the time on the 15th slot, I, if you've ever hung out with me or roomed with me in Airbnb, there's you know there's the classic Abe like what's this like? You know, everyone always thinks about the last sideboard slot or whatever. And for people that are like really stressing about, they like they want to make sure they get it right. I always tell them like there's no way to get it perfectly right you're you just can't do it you know if you nail it or whatever kudos but it's better to have something that you want to beat you know and then like pick the 15 slot for that and a lot of times i'll have like this massive amount of information and form those like last spots or two where it's like i'll give an example where it's like i think a lot of people are going to try and blood moon me this weekend and i'm committed to playing game because i think i can beat everything and blood moon's like one of the only few cards that can actually beat me and to make sure i'm being blood moon I'm playing an extra basic in my main and I'm playing a second beast within my sideboard. And that's like my 15th card. And I think a lot of people are kind of drumming up that you need to be able to beat the amulet. So I expect people to have plans and this beats some of the other plans that are actually good against me. So this is the game. You know, and I, I kind of listen to get the idea of what other people think so that I can then think about how I can, A, if I'm going to use that information myself as to beat a deck or B, how are they going to be trying to attack me? And how are they going to be trying to beat me in the matchup? And I also just listen a lot of times just to get a feeling on the matchup. uh, Because one thing that happens, um, and this is the dirty secret about content creation, is that you're going to read something and the content creator is presenting it like it is 100% their truth, their facts, and their beliefs. And sometimes websites have ulterior motives. And I don't mean selling cards. I mean we need you to be talking like you're an expert and have strong opinions. And the truth is that yeah. they, they feel much more like – like if you were to talk to, let's say, me, for example, I might say, yes, Tana Pack is the best deck in Historic, but there's a lot of other things you can do, and it's a lot closer than it's made out to be. But you need to speak in extremes and broad terms and get the message across to people, you know? And so when you listen to me talk on the podcast, you get a much more nuanced take of it. And I, I listen for those nuanced terms, and I listen to see how they think and how they feel about stuff and what they are and aren't talking about, so – that's me. Know, it's comes
1: really this. It's really funny, Mason. I feel like we kind of set out with the goal of talking a lot about research mm-hmm. in this episode and we spent like a lot of the time in research talking about how to like use research to like meta game, right? To like mm-hmm. figure out what the what people around you and what people you're going to play against are thinking about and how they're doing it and like how the hive mind kind of like Uh, informs that and how to like capitalize off of having a good knowledge of what the hive mind stuff is, which is, I think I just never thought about how tied together those two things were. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're very tied together. I'm really really happy that we talked about it this way because I think that there's just a lot, there's like really a lot there. And I've realized that thinking back to my fearless magic inventory, where I did have researching on one of my weak points only because I I think I'm good at it, but I don't think I do it enough. And also, I had metagaming as one of my weak points in a in a separate section. But mm-hmm. I think that now, like maybe I wouldn't be so bad at it if I did all the research, and you know, because I think I'm I'm like I could be good at it if I took the time. Yeah, but taking the time could, could start to see like an uplift everywhere, which makes sense with how I see things. But it's just like I never really laid it out before, and I think it's just really interesting how we've just gotten here, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. I I think um, that
0: all that's true. And I I also think that one thing that I really notice about players who are strong or stronger players generally know a lot about a little, know a little about a lot of things. Sorry. Um, Minimum. And they're often know a lot about things too, but like you don't get caught not knowing about something. I feel like that's what researching is a lot of the time for me is being prepared and ready so that I know what's going on and that I, like, am never surprised, you know? Like, being surprised is one of the worst things that can happen to you at Magic Tournament, right? Um, and it's often not the case in the current day with open deck lists. Like, you you know a lot of what's going on. But, you know, in the old days, it's very common to be like... Like, I, I, I want to know what's the range of cards I put up most likely has if they're a reasonable person. You know, if they have, like, a mana tithe or whatever, I get got... But like, oh, they brought in stony silence against me. Yeah, I think some people do. I I came prepared for this. You know, I knew this might happen. And it informs the way I play the games. Um, But yeah, I, I think you should definitely try doing that more, especially as you play more events, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that... Yeah, this is just... It's like blowing my mind. I'm thinking about like a lot of things now that are just put into context about like where a lot of my strengths are and have been in playing like opens and stuff and where I've kind of lost points to other players of like you know maybe similar technical caliber or uh, or whatever mm-hmm. just in just in preparation or where I've gained points by having like a like having such a breadth of knowledge but maybe not the depth that a lot of those players have yeah it's really interesting
0: yeah I I will say this uh you know I I was catching up to you there on points you're obviously heading me to the end there uh but I think part of the reason I was able to get there higher on the leaderboard in such a short period of time relative to the people around me and it slightly ahead of me is that when I went to opens I felt like I very much knew everything about all the decks. And like I felt like I could speak to a level of like proficiency about every deck on basically every weekend. In fact the only time that wasn't the case was when Lotus Box sprung like the blue green Urza deck. And I very quickly made it a thing to like learn about this deck, you know? Yeah. Uh, a, because I want I need to be able to play against them later in the tournament. But you know, also just to be like, this is something I don't know about. I need to learn about this. I need to be in the zone about that. And that's something that I've unfortunately been worse at during COVID. Um, you know, so but it's very much a thing where I think knowing a lot and being on top of things and listening and all that sort of stuff is a huge strength. Uh, assuming your, me- your mechanics are tight et cetera. So
1: yeah, we'll just have to get back on it. That's why I've been playing. Uh... I don't know. I I don't know if I told you this. I've been continuing the like random roll modern league stuff. Oh, I didn't know you were doing that stuff. <laughs> I played some black white smallpox the other day. I played some black green moth as well. Uh, I played that in paper. The other you know, day. I'm really I'm staying fresh. Yeah, I
0: it was funny. We played you know talk about paper. Played the moth deck, and the one that my friend that decked online had a fin. The like turn your death touch guys into poison. And I was yeah. very much like, Pfft, no idea. And I thought back to, like, if this was two years ago from now, I would know exactly why that fin's there. But I have <laughs> zero clue, and I'm not figuring it out right now. i going playing as humans. It's not for this matchup. <laughs> you know? Yeah, this it's guy. probably some,
1: H- like, Hepatricon, though.
0: Yeah, I think it's, like, Hepatra in a way to, like, beat infinite life stuff, like Kiliad slash, like, you can use as a control deck win condition if, like, you know, they have a lot of life gain, so. But I wasn't gonna actually think about it. I was playing against humans, you know. I, I got I got yeah. things to do, <laughs> you know. Uh, but yeah, that's this week's episode. Hopefully, Adrian, that was helpful. Hopefully, the listeners, that was helpful. I think a lot of times, um, what happens is players are like, "How do I get better?" And then players are like, "Go engage the content." And like, "Okay, which content?" And we're like, start to see the games, channel Fireball Twitch TV slash the Mason Clark." And we're like, "Cool. All right, what do I do?" Wait, what? And they, like, get there, and you're very much like the kid on the first day of college, and you're just kind of like, uh, I mean, I kind of know what to do, but not really. You know, <laughs> you have to figure it out, right? And yeah. hopefully us talking about this process and what we do is helpful for you emulating it and helpful for you to build those habits on your own. So it's not just, hey, go read, idiot. It's, hey, do these things while you're doing it, you know? Like, you got this. And yeah, go
1: go pick a content creator that you want to learn from engage with their content in a way that's going to promote you learning from it. I I know that I'm really guilty. I watch a ton of content. That's like just for fun. Like I really enjoy it, but it's not the best place to learn. But if I want to go learn, go watch the person you're going to learn from, you know, and stick with it and you'll get everywhere. I agree.
0: Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Constructed Criticism. Mm -hmm.
1: Abe, someone wants to find you. Where can they go? Uh, Twitter.com slash more nothings or twitch.tv slash more nothings. I love to hear that. You can find me on Twitter
0: at Mason E. Clark. You can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. I have taken a little hiatus because that's uh, personal stuff. but I'm coming back, we're going to have some, uh, we're going to have some VOD watching streams here pretty soon. It's going to be pretty fun. Um, Along with some normal magic stuff. And you can find me each and every week on card Kingdom where I write for them this week. It's the return of the historic tier list. Bum, bum, bum. Bet you don't guess or retain it, Packs. That Abe, there's no chance you can figure that out. Ha, ha, ha. Listeners know early. <laughs> yeah. No way. All right, thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you all next week for another episode of Constructed Criticism.